Hey, it's Robert Gowan coming at you at 15 Perry Street. And thank you guys again for listening to Mentors for Military. And if you like the show and you want to contribute, make sure you go out to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. We'd appreciate any kind of uh, patron and donor donation that you can help us with. I'm here with my sidekick, Paul Martinez. Hey, how you doing? And we also have a co-host, Mr. Jason Belford again. Hey, how you doing? So um, today's guest... Yeah, I wrote a book, and it's called The Enemy Inside Me. And Brandy uh, Benson, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate you coming on the show because we can't wait to talk about this. this. is a very important topic. Yes. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you were introduced to us by Chelsea at Hunter 7 Foundation. If you're not familiar with Hunter 7 Foundation, go check them out. To, and we're going to get into a reason why. I was hard to say the reason why, but I think it'll kill the whole topic of what we're getting ready to talk about. But... It is an important factor. It is um, something that all veterans should be very much aware of. And we had a little sidebar conversation before you got here earlier this morning with Jason about this very topic. So um, him being on active duty, it's really important that he understands a lot about this as well. So, Brandy, I, I started to ask you about where it is that you came from, and I thought it was Illinois, but we were talking offline. It was actually Miami, right? No. California. California. Damn it. <laughs> it's okay. Were, Don't worry about it. You were in San Francisco, yes, and then yes. you moved to Oregon. Correct. All right. So where did you join the military in Illinois? So where yes. did that happen? Uh, that happened in, I think it was 2008 is when I joined. And I was living I was living with my sister. She was married at the time to her ex-husband, and he was in uh, Great Lakes. So we were in a Navy, Navy housing there. But my sister ended up joining the military before I did, and I felt like I needed to do something with my life. I think I was 23. My sister was like 18. You already had your degree at that time frame. No, or no. Okay. So I was in college. Yeah. And my whole goal was to like go, you know, become an officer, join the military. Then. Yeah. But my sister just decided to like jump the gun sooner, and she wants to go, and I'm like, you know, I have to do something. Like I can't just be doing nothing. She's gonna have a jump start in her career. She's gonna be working. She's gonna have all these great things. So I was like, I'm gonna join the military and. I originally wanted to go in the Air Force. I know, guys, sorry. So. <laughs> I, I wanted to go in the Air Force. Okay. I, or at that least was, I looked at it and entertained yeah, it. Yeah, I know, did. The, I was yeah. like, that might be the safest branch because, you know, Iraq was going on and all that. So yeah. I was like, maybe that would be the safest one and housing is better, quote unquote. So I was like, I'll just go there and maybe something good would happen out of that. And uh, there was a long waiting list for like six months. And I was like, oh, God, oh, yeah. like I can't, yeah. you know, wait. So I was walking past and an army recruiter came out and was like, Hey, I can get you in by Wednesday. I was like, what? Yeah. It's like, sign me yeah. up. I oh, signed up. My man. mom was pissed. I mean, really? I, I was, yeah, a, she was upset. I was a recruiter at one point and I can tell where most people who listen to this podcast know this, but anyway, most of our uh, air force recruiters next door, they always had like a six month or 12 month. Usually he had his quota for the next year, nearly at the point of which he was coming into the year. I mean, it was like, oh, dudes, I mean, I'm already got six, I'm, I'm already out the June and stuff. And we're like, well, we just made this month. I mean, we got lucky that we actually closed it out. Right. You know, we're not even thinking that far ahead. So that's exactly what we would do is we'd wait for somebody to go down there and you could see they'd have their head down walking away and it'd be like, hey, <laughs> psh, psh, come, yeah, come exactly. over here. Yep. And that's what we, <laughs> that's the, what they did. And they had me sign some paperwork and what was it that you uh, talked about going into as far as the Air Force? And did you get the same kind of, you know, thing in the Army? Or were you even thinking about an occupation at that point? You just wanted to go into the military. I was just trying to get out. Okay. There was like, there was no 
destination or like goals or anything. I was like, whatever I can get, I just need to go. You know, yeah. it was like I was feeling left behind. Yeah, <laughs> my okay. sister is already, you know, she went to her her um, basic training, went to her graduation. I was like, I got to do something. Yeah, like this this is not good. Well, I had that she <laughs> was in, to. but how much further ahead was she then? You just she, just the fact the training or. Uh, I believe it was like seven months. Okay. Nine, seven months or something. So not too much further ahead. Not, then. not too much, but I mean, we're, you know, we're kind of competitive, so. Yeah. <laughs> <I couldn't tell. laughs> I was like, this is just not going to work. It's yeah. It's going to be good, so. So you end up going to Fort Jackson for basic training then? Mm -hmm. Basic training, yep. And um, my mom was very unhappy that I signed up. She did not want me to go. And she thought that, like, she, you know, moms always know everything, of course. She thought that uh, we would get deployed at the same time. And I was like, oh. why would that happen? Like, why would the Army, like, deploy two siblings at the same time? And I was like, that's just impossible. Like, Private that doesn't Ryan, make me... You ever watch Saving Private Ryan? I should have watched <laughs> it, and I, I didn't. And yeah. It was just not a good good thing. So she didn't want me to join. That Pretty was popular her. popular movie, Randy. Very was... popular. And I thought, you know, I've watched it a couple times. I didn't think about it then. But um, I just... So the whole point of me joining was to have like some sort of stability and like a foundation where I knew that we wouldn't be abandoned again because that's why I joined the military is because sure. my stepdad ended up leaving us with like all the bills, three dogs, and my sister and I, my mom, we were like so poor. We couldn't afford anything. Like we had no money. So the military was like if I could just get into the army or get into some sort of branch, I would never have to be or worry about that ever again. And that was for like the entire family. So if something happened to my mother, you know, you can come stay with me. Right. Something happened to my sister, you can, so it's vice versa. So that was the whole point of us joining. And, you know, we ended up just sticking on that. Yeah. So what MOS was it that you went into? Oh, gosh. I hate when people ask me this. <laughs> okay, so I, <clears throat> so I joined... Okay. It's like a full preparation <laughs> thing here. Right? It's like, oh gosh. So I was like really right moved and thought the money was great. So there was a bonus for mm. a 92 golf, right? A cook. Oh. So I know, but I didn't want to do it, but it was $30,000. And I was like, what's wrong yeah. with that? I mean, it was great. So I did it, but I feel like that's not what I, I shouldn't have like ran towards the money, but you were a chef. I was uh, quote unquote a chef, right? Yeah. So yeah. I didn't do much cooking though, but. Did you ever get into like um, pastries or anything like that doing the? You know, I had a very <clears throat> negative experience while I was with my leadership. It wasn't <clears throat> very pleasant. So anything that was probably like an easy task or something that would maybe, maybe bring you joy or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. But um, they, um, they, were made, they made sure I wasn't a part of that. So I didn't really do any pastry stuff. I was always working really hard. I had tough, tough leadership on me. They were not very great. Wow. You know, I mean, listen, I, it, all the army installations I went to, I know people complain about army chow, you know, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't complain. I always thought that was some good food. You know, I mean, every time I went there for the price you pay, holy cow, that was some I'm, good food. I'm judging you harshly right now. I, I was, you may. <clears throat> well, I'm only judging you harshly because you obviously never eaten a third range Italian chow hall. He hasn't. We you, need to change that. If you eat, we can. If you eat in the regular army, you're one meat, one starch, I, w I would lose my mind. <laughs> like, I got uh, where we're at, like, we get fed like very well fed cattle. I mean, very well fed cattle. Like, we eat to perform. Yeah, I feel like they're good portions. I don't know. It's very yeah. good portions, as much as you want. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, as many servings as you like. 
But mm. I got I, I, a question. Would yeah. you, um, w- what was the, uh, the, you said the leadership issue uh, as a, as a first owner with, and, and we have one female in our organization now uh, that, that works uh, with me. And uh, what was the leadership issue that you, that, that you felt kept them from giving you like the pastries or whatever the, that job. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just felt felt like my leadership, the individual who was my supervisor. I just want to say, I feel like she had like something personally against me. So she would go out of her way to give me a hard time and stuff, and she would like harass me. And so it came to a point where I had to go to GI and file complaints. IG. 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 Yeah. There you go. I'm, like, I'm thinking like GI. We're all government okay. issues. <laughs> yeah. IG. I, had to I go forget to, that's what right. you did. Yeah. I had to go to IG and file some complaints, and then she backed off of me. But it wow. was to the point where it was just so terrible. Why do, why do you think the... I don't know. I don't know what it was, but she had something personally like against me. She, yeah. Whatever the reason was, she didn't like me, and you know, it, it didn't really work out. And so that just gave me a really bad taste for the military. So oh, sure. I spent most of my time in the military in the hospital. So, like, the big portion of my career was in the hospital. And then wow. when I finally got out, I went to um, Fort Stewart. And then I, you know, was at, um, got introduced to my leadership, and it wasn't very good. And I was like, I have to get out of this place. Like, these people are terrible. They don't care about my health or my well-being. Like, they, you know, this is not somewhere I want to stay. So I ended up getting out. So I didn't spend a lot of time mm-hmm. learning about the true Army and what was, you know, really going on with that. Just, what a crummy environment to foster somebody it, just like, I don't want to be here at yeah. all. It was so bad. It was bad. And my sister warned me about the place. And I picked, uh, I picked Georgia. I picked it. I picked it. I wanted that, that to go. There are good things about Georgia. Wait, wait, just, there's great things. But I picked Fort Stewart. That's the place that I yeah. wanted to go. And my sister kept telling me, like, it's a rapid deploying area. Like, you do not want to go there. And right. I was like, no, I want to go. Like, I want to, I want to see what it's like. You know, it looks really amazing. And it was not that I've, at all. I've, I've heard some, some feedback like that about yeah. Fort Stewart. It was hard. There's a, I don't know, it's culturally, I guess. Sorry. Depending yeah. on what <laughs> unit you get to. Toxic yeah. leadership. That's a, tough, that's a tough field to be in, though. Yeah. I mean, being a cook in the Army, nobody pays you any respect. It's no. For the most part. Nice. I mean, you're, they're just, you're bottom of the barrel, which yes. is very unfair. Yes. And the hours really suck. Critical. Yeah. You guys are working hard. Yes. Four in the morning to whatever yeah. time and you got to prep and cook. And I was like, what was I thinking? Like, like, was the money really that important to me then? Yes. But now yeah. looking hindsight, I was like, I would never do anything for the money ever again. That's a lesson you, learned for sure. When you look at the amount of money they, they offer too as a bonus, it's a lot of money when you're young. Exactly. But then you it think was only like, ten thousand dollars, you know, broken up every, mm-hmm. you know, three years. So I was like, what yeah. was I doing? Like that's what I try to tell guys all the time. I'm like, that's a big bonus. However, yeah, if you extend that out, you're only getting six, seven, eight, you know, ten thousand dollars extra. It's it's, yep. it's funny that you say it's only ten thousand dollars, but I know what, I know what you mean. But yeah. I mean, there are people out there that seventeen, eighteen years old when they hear that number, it's like. Oh my God, $10,000. What? And all I got to do is sign the line, you know? How long does it take you to save $10,000 if you never eat fast food? Right? Like, what if you, well, you know I what I mean? Yeah. I'm with you, Rob. No, I, wouldn't, no. I wouldn't, I don't say no to 10 grand. But, but Never. listen to the story of what she's trying to say. The money enticed her to go in possibly into a direction she shouldn't have gone into. Right. So listen to your heart, 
you know, pay attention to what your gut's telling you. Don't go after the green. Make right. sure you're making the right decision right. You know, making it for the right decision. Right. Making the decision for the right. Is that right? <laughs> I think I right. came out right, Rob. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah. What'd you put in his coffee? Uh, extra. <laughs> Good. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so after uh, basic training, AIT and everything, it wasn't, uh, what, but like a year and a half or so you end up deploying? No. I was at my main duty station for one month and nine days. Wow. And it's funny because I, I said That's that specific. knowing somewhat the story. You were yeah. actually in basic training and there was a lot of interesting conversation about deployment, you know, yes. and about, you know, you're not going to deploy, blah, blah, blah. And then someone came in and started talking about, no, the, mm -hmm. you're going. Yep. I, I didn't think that would, I don't know. I don't know what I expected joining the military. I just like, you know, with a regular job, you have like your 90 days and then slowly take off the training wheels. Like now I'm going to be going to war and I'm going to be like real killers. Like I just traded in my, you know, my, my college books for an M16. Like, I don't think I'm ready to, you know, go to war just yet. Like, yeah. I don't think this is going to be good. So when I got deployed, I was like, oh my God, this is real, you know, <laughs> flying around in like helicopters and you know, we're finally at like Fob Echo and I'm there and it's dusty and it's crazy looking. And I'm like, and everyone looks scared, you know, cause it's yeah. like wartime, it's time to go. I was like, Oh my God. Like, I don't know if I made the right decision. This is, this is like above my pay grade. This, I don't know if I, you know, this was correct, but I ended up doing it. And yeah, you know, it was hard. It was, it was very surreal, very. And I feel like I should have thought it out a little bit better you know, at the time I felt like I was just like running away from or trying to like catch up to something, you know, I've just ill prepared for stuff and I should have just kind of waited it out and thought about it a little bit more. Like, mm -hmm. don't go after the money. Is this what you really want to do? Think it out a little better. Why are you being so competitive with your sister? Like, why are you doing these things? So in hindsight, what would you have done different? What do you, I would have finished school. Okay. I would have stayed in college, finished school, would have went as an officer mm -hmm. and probably the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> I probably what I would have done. I that sounds actually pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. Probably should have done That's that. Probably a good idea. Yeah, we could have done that too, maybe. I wasn't yeah. smart enough for the Air no, Force. I, I wasn't either. They wouldn't take me. They wouldn't the Marines me. wouldn't take me. Next question. Same. <laughs> oh, God. Same. Yeah, we talked about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you're ahead of the curve. But so you were over there, you know, doing my, like most people on the FOB. You were working out and, you know, yes. trying to stay in shape and everything. And kind of tell us what was going on there. Um, what kind of, what happened? So, of course, you guys know. I'm sure you guys have all been deployed, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, when you're deployed, all there is to do is work out. So, I'm working out like I'm training for some sort of, like, fitness competition. Like, I'm working out three times a day. I'm really pushing it. I'm, you know, running two miles super fast. I'm doing all my sit-ups and push-ups like I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just maxing everything out. And one of the incentives were uh, if you get a 300 on your PT test, you get two days off. And during this time, it was like January, and I was experiencing extreme fatigue. And I thought maybe it's like the war, I'm 24. And, and how many months have you been there at that point? Like three months. Okay. Okay. Right? Three, about three months uh, in December. So I'm thinking I'm so tired because, like, what's going on and what, what I'm exposed to. And I'm in war. I'm like a child. Like, I don't even, when I'm barely tying my shoes, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm thinking that's why I'm so exhausted. Like, that's the reason why. But little did I know that I, that was like one of the symptoms of what we're going to be getting to uh, shortly, I'm sure. So 
um, I'm working out a ton, and one day I decide, you know, I'm gonna like, I don't know, I started doing these weird stretches, and I was like pulling up my leg up, you know, to my to my chest, and like just holding it there, and I ended up like seeing this lump sticking out of my leg, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And so I'm like trying to push it, prodding it, moving it. It wouldn't move. It didn't hurt. And, you know, and the only way I could see it is if I pulled my leg up like really high up to my chest. And I was like, that's weird. How big was it? It was huge. It was probably like the size of an orange, but you couldn't see it unless I pulled my leg up to my chest. So like laying back and pull your in leg. In your groin area. In my groin area. So I couldn't see it. Like if I stood oh. up, you couldn't see it. If I was walking, I couldn't feel it. Nothing. It was like embedded in the muscle mm. really far. And the only way I saw it was if I was laying down and I was stretching with my leg on my chest. And so I was like, oh, that's strange. So I show my roommate, show my first sergeant, I show a couple of friends, and everybody thinks something's wrong, except for me. And I'm thinking, they can't You're be. feeling fine other than fatigue. Yeah, I'm just so tired. Like, no yeah. matter how much rest I get, I'm just so exhausted. So I'm just like, that's probably normal. I mean, it's Christmas time. My family's not here. We're getting bombed all, like, even more you know, it's cold. Like that's probably, you know, that's probably why I'm tired, but that's not what it was. It was a rare cancer. <laughs> so at that moment, you know, when was it that you, you had it looked while you were there? So what made you go and get it actually um, looked at? Okay. So my whole motivation was because I was so exhausted and I was so tired that if all these unprofessional individuals think something's wrong, the doctors for sure is going to put me in quarters. And I'm going to get gotcha. some more rest. And I'm like, that's like, I need that. Like, I need those two yeah. days to just sleep and go to bed. So I showed the doctors or uh, the medics. Didn't think anything of it. At that no, still, I was just yeah. like, there's nothing wrong. Like, come on. Like, and then, you know, I never knew you can get cancer in your leg. Yeah. I thought it was like breast cancer, lung cancer, brain cancer, stomach cancer. Like all the ones you hear about and you see about it. I didn't yeah. know that you could get cancer in the leg. So it just didn't make any sense. Plus, I've grown up like super athletic, very um, flexible and fast, like anything that I've done, I've just excelled very well in like physical aspect. So for this to pop out of nowhere, it just was like, well, I didn't do anything or hurt myself. I don't know where this is coming from. Like it's probably some, I don't, I didn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. So I show the medics and, uh, you know, she's like pushing on it. Her name is Captain May. She's like pushing on it trying to figure out what's going on. And she looks really concerned, but she's mm. not saying anything to me at all. And I'm like, well, she's not saying anything maybe it's not that bad so I was like okay she's like we're gonna send you out tonight to Baghdad and I was like okay cool that sounds that sounds like fun you know yeah. right we're gonna go to like a bigger base or a bigger fob there's gonna be better food it's gonna be more security we're not gonna get bombed you know it's gonna be clean halls like it's gonna be a good vacation versus staying at this little tiny little you know bullseye where everyone keeps on like, shooting mortars at us I'm like so this it hasn't occurred to you that like they're sending you like this is a big deal. Yeah, I didn't even know. And you thought I, it was so, gonna be a quick trip analysis, come back in a couple of days or a day. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I was gonna sleep, right? Yeah, I was yeah. gonna sleep more. Hotel so, Baghdad. Hotel Baghdad. That should be a movie. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> hotel Hotel Baghdad. That's good. Um, so I uh, I tell my roommate and a couple of friends, and they all are like, hey. Uh, here's a list of stuff we want from Baghdad. Can you get us like these Nike shoes, this food, like all this stuff? I'm like, yeah, sure. So they're giving me a list of stuff to bring back. So I have everything. I'm ready. Get on the helicopter. Super scary ride. Get to the hospital. Uh, we do a CT scan, I believe. And I had to go there to get a CT scan because, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have that right. um, at my fob. So I get that done. And the doctor comes over. He's, you know, doesn't seem hesitant, didn't really seem concerned about anything. And he's like, well, we can for sure know that there's like blood flowing in and out 
but this is your choice. Um, you can go back to Fob Echo or you can go to Launchstool Germany. Uh, we highly suggest that you go to Launchstool um, to get an MRI, but it's your choice, like whatever you want to do. I was like, okay, cool. Wait, doesn't Wait. sound like very good medical. No, I was going <laughs> to say, why would they even allow you if there's so much concern to have a choice? Mm -hmm. Instead, it's you're going to Germany. No, he gave me an option. And I was like, really? the further away I go, the more sleep I get. What would you, I mean, wow. so let's just, I don't want to fast forward too much, but okay. if, if you would have not chosen Germany. I would have died. Let's just be frank here. I mean, yep. somebody wow. obviously didn't understand the impact of what they were witnessing and, and giving you proper guidance in a way of, listen, Brandy, you may want to go back, but you're not going back. We got to get you to Germany and we got to do it quick, mm -hmm. you know. And the whole time that you're motivated, you just want to catch some rest. More rest because nobody was saying anything. They yeah. weren't saying anything. So at this point, you still don't know anything I other than you're going to get more tests. So you can, more tests. I need an MRI. I mean, yeah. Like, do you think about how tired you have to be to be like, okay, I'm just going to keep on. Getting on like, <laughs> yeah. like, I can take a nap. All right. I was whatever. so tired. And the whole That's time, profound. I was sleeping the entire time. I was so exhausted, so wow. tired. I slept for days and days and days and days. Were they asking you questions about this? Like, no. about your sleep and no. stuff like that? They weren't, you know, they, I had like a list of my appointments and where I had to be in the times so that there was nobody like asking me or trailing Any me blood or, work or okay. anything done at this point? Not, nope. Nothing really? So Nothing. nobody realized that, like, you're just so exhausted you can barely function. I'm, I mean, I would have thought wow. that the captain or, uh, you know, or someone in Baghdad would have at least said, based on that, we should at least run a blood uh, work panel just to see if their white blood uh, cell count no. or something. Okay. I mean. The orders were the CT scan. What year was that? Uh, 2009. Wow. Scary. So you, that was a bloody year, too, though. Yeah. I mean, uh -uh. you got to think, like, anybody listening we're not indicting any of the medical professionals no. involved in this scenario because they've oh, yes, got no. so much to deal with. And I think what I, that's too. why I was asking what year we're yeah. going to because, you know, medical professionals are, 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 we hope to be the best at what they are. And, and their intent is to take care of people the best they can. And I don't think there was any malintent. No, in, no, no, no. Of course. I, and the reason I asked the year because, you know, that, like you said, that 2009, 2010 was like getting after it time frame. And, uh, yeah, very bloody battles and stuff those years. And I, I'm not negating anything, get that out. But I'm saying like their workload versus like exactly. the, the things that they were seeing, you know, like amputees, gunshot right. wounds, right. you know, explosions, IED, all of those things that they were experiencing at the time. I I, I think they were probably, you know, I'm paraphrasing maybe how they were thinking, but like uh, I think I think it's benign probably. It's got blood going in and out of it. I think it'd be good. Yeah. Like they're like, you still got your leg type deal, you know, and not yeah. really taking it to the seriousness that they should. A fair point. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you know, I'm sure they they ran into plenty of people who genuinely were malingering. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go out anymore. Sure. Top, you know, yeah. those type of guys, you know, and females and be like, uh, yeah, you know, they. Like you can go back, you're good. Like mm -hmm. so, th there was all that going on. And unfortunate for you that you're like, there actually is a problem. <laughs> you know, like that, yeah. that that person that we see with a bad back. You're like, no, like it's broken. Like yeah. you can see that it's broken. Like I'm not. Yeah. So yeah, not to negate. Anything, well, yeah, I totally agree. It's it wasn't something. I mean, it was an emergency, but it's not like physically an emergency. There's no blood. There's no right. you know someone's right. not been shot. So they're probably like, okay, she's fine. You want to go back? You know, are you, you know, are you playing around? Are you really exhausted? And you know, I wasn't even telling anybody I was tired. 
I was just exhausted. Yeah. I think I was expressing that to people. You know, I just had a lump in my legs. Like, what is this? I don't know. Yeah, and you didn't connect the two. No, of course not. Were they asking the questions like, have you, have you, have you been fatigued? Have you been... Like, you know, I can't recall. I'm pretty sure they did. But uh, it's such a rare cancer. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even see it in their medical professional field ever. Um, and if they do, it might be like once. It's yeah. not a high percentage of people that have it. So, let's, so you, you left there, go to Germany, mm-hmm. and they run the MRI. And immediately, I think it was immediately, they went ahead and told you. Yeah. So, so, so this entire time, I am in contact with my mom. And I'm, you know, on the phone with her and letting her know I'm like, you know, I'm in Iraq. Now I'm in Baghdad or Iraq is Baghdad. But, you know, I'm in Baghdad. Now I'm in um, um, I'm in Germany. And she's like kind of concerned. She's more concerned than everybody else where I can sense that like on the phone. Mother's intuition. Yeah. She's like, you know, what's going on? You know, why are you going to Germany? Like, for what? Why do you need an MRI? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I have this lump in my leg. Like, I don't know what it is. And she's like, a lump in your leg. Like, what is that? And how long have you had it for? And does it hurt? And she's asking all these questions. I'm like, I'm too tired to answer all this stuff. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, the doctors aren't even saying anything. Like, I don't know. Let's just wait until they say something. So when I get to Germany, so I'm in uh, contact with her all the time. Get to Germany, have this, like, manila folder, and it's like a vacation, right? So then I tell the rest of my friends who have given me a list of stuff to get for them from um, from Baghdad, and I tell them, hey, I'm not you know, going there anymore. I'm going to Germany. Do you guys yeah. need anything? And they're like, yeah, man, bring back these chocolate gummy bears. Like, if you can get, like, these good shoes. Like, they want all of these things. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, just, like, let me know. And I have, like, lists of stuff to get people, yeah. right? And so I'm like, okay. You know, I go to, like, the this mall that's there. Like, I drink a couple beers. Like, I'm just like, oh, I'm just so relaxed. I went and got a tattoo. Like, I'm just chilling. Like, yeah. okay. This is like a good vacation. It's kind of like normalcy. So, were you still fatigued at this point? I was exhausted, and the entire still. time I'm still going to the gym. You know, I'm still yeah. working out, still doing stuff. I just didn't know, you know, what was really going on with my body. I just thought I was just tired. Like, I thought mentally, I was mentally exhausted because of what I was experiencing. Like, mm-hmm. we were getting bombed and mortars, and like yeah. things weren't. You know, it was just crazy it was really scary it's very surreal you know and i'm well, like it's a natural assumption yeah you it's should just, be exhausted yeah it's just, and you we never knew when the, the bombs or the mortars were going to be coming in like the alarm system didn't work like it was like your senses were on a thousand so i was just drained so i thought that's why i'm so tired so when i'm sleeping so i'm just trying to get this rest because i'm like in chronic fatigue and like um stress mode 24 7 so i thought that's what it was but Back to Germany. So I get to Germany. Um, so I get this manila folder. All of my appointments are there. Um, you know, I meet, I go to the doctors the first time, and I remember him telling me that he hopes that it's uh, not Ewing sarcoma, and he hopes he hopes it's a, a nerve sheath tumor. And I'm like, what the hell is? What are those things? Like, what is that? And it, I didn't even think about it. I was like, okay, like, you know, I don't. I, didn't know what those two names were, so I didn't associate with cancer. So I just was like, okay, that's weird. You know, I've never heard of these terms, medical terms. I don't know what it is. So I didn't really think anything of it. So I got my MRI, got it back, and he's like, it's a tumor. I'm like, okay, well, what's that? It's a tumor. I've never met anybody with a tumor before. Like, yeah. like all the people that I knew that had cancer, I just knew they were bald. And I didn't know why. Like, I didn't know yeah. why I thought having cancer made you bald. Not that the chemotherapy made you bald. So I'm not bald. 
so I shouldn't have cancer, right? Like, I'm not very, very smart, but I just, that's what I just, you know, associated with because everybody I knew that was sick, they had cancer, they were bald. So I'm like, damn, they're, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that person isn't, I just, it just didn't, you know, I didn't understand. So never met anybody with a tumor, not that I knew of. Like, people, maybe they probably did, and I just didn't know, you know, the extent of the cancer and how it works. Um, so when they tell me it's a tumor, I go back and I tell my mom, and I remember her just being like really scared and thinking, this is like, this is, this is really serious. And like, why aren't you not, why are you still acting like you're so like nonchalant about it? I'm like, yeah. like, what is a tumor? Like, what is that? You know, she's wow. like, she's like, it could be cancer. Like it could be cancer. It could be benign. And I'm like, what? Are you sure? <laughs> like, yeah. What do you mean? Like, how, how do you get cancer? You know, I thought you had to be like way older, bad health habits. Like, yeah. like I'm running my fastest miles. I have a six pack. Like I was in shape, like the best shape of my life. So how could I get cancer? Like, how is this even possible? So just like, I was just in such denial for so long. So get to my next appointment. Cause we have to do the biopsy to find out what type of um, tumor that it is. And then that's when he tells me that like, he's ushering me out and he's like, we're going to hope and pray that it's not Ewing sarcoma. We're going to pray that it's a nerve sheath tumor. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to look these up now because he said it twice. So I go mm -hmm. and I look it up, and now I know that it's cancer. And I'm like, oh, my God. So then I stopped going to the gym because I think that if I'm running, that I might, like, knock something loose and it might, you know, start festering somewhere else in my body. So I'm like, I'm not working out anymore. I start, I start getting super depressed. I start just taking tons of Benadryl, like, way too much Benadryl, but every thought that I have, it's about death, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be meeting Jesus or God, or like, how the hell did this happen? Like, how did I not notice? Like, how did I get this? Was I a bad person? Is this my karma? Like, how is this all happening to me? I just didn't make any sense of why this is happening. I'm only 24 years old. Like, I was doing something great for my family. Now I'm about to die, you yeah. know, so I was just popping tons of Benadryl and trying to sleep and mask, like, you know, all these questions that I had. And then it was finally the day to find out what type of cancer I had. So I go into the hospital and the doctor sits me down and he's like, he looks all like scared and stuff. And he's like sweating a bunch. And I'm like, this is like, I probably have like the bad one. You know, I don't even know what it is, but he's like, he misdiagnosed me. And he tells me that it's a nerve sheath tumor. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not the bad one that the doctor didn't want me to have. So I'm like, okay, cool. So now I know what type of cancer it is and what's going to be happening. So I look up nursing tumor. You know, you can like, it's it's not as bad as Ewing's. The you know the uh, the mortality rate is is way less. So I'm like, okay. So I explain it to my mom and she starts screaming on the phone and she's really you know just sad about what's going to be happening and she informs me that she's going to quit everything. She's going to quit her job. She's going to leave Texas and she's going to come move with me to Walter Reed. And she leaves everything, awesome. everything, awesome everything. Mom. Awesome, right? Awesome, mom. Leaves everything to come take care of me. And uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know mm. if she was going to have money, where to, you know, sleep, live, eat, anything. Wow. And my sister's deployed still at the same time. And my sister has a son. His name is Donovan. He was two at the time. So she's watching him. So she comes with him in hand, a little baby, a little two-year-old. And he's, you know, terrible too. So he's acting yeah. a crazy donkey. Uh, but he, you know, they come and they sleep next to me in my little hospital bed. They have like a little pull-out couch and the military ends up giving her a stipend. So she stays at, I think it's called the Monroe House. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So she stays over there for like the entire duration. Donovan's in a, um, some sort of, I don't know, it's not preschool. What is it? I don't have kids. 
Um, daycare. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what before preschool? Wait, no. I was yeah. like, think back. Mm-hmm. You're on the spot there. <laughs> you got seven of them. I got all you these answers. Know. I got them. I got them. <laughs> yeah. My Rolodex started spinning and yeah. I didn't have the answer. Yeah, so he, he's in daycare. He's there. We have food and everything. So she's my non medical attendant and she takes care of me the entire duration of it. Wow. She was a huge support system. So when was it, though, that they finally got the right diagnosis? Yeah. So when I finally get to Walter Reed, um, by this time, so you know when you disturb cancer, it grows, right? That's what cancer is. It just grows and it grows and it grows and grows. So when they did the biopsy the first time, it grew, right? And it's just growing and it's growing. And they did another biopsy, and now it's, like, really massive. It's so huge. It's, like, the size of a, like, you know, the like the baby watermelons? Mm-hmm. Okay? It's in my groin area in my leg now can you see it now i can see it now i can feel it now i can't extend my leg out i can't bend my leg oh, wow. and i can't put pressure on my left leg because my leg is going numb and now this we're is talking, just a matter of weeks let, yeah i was oh, gonna yeah. say let's talk let's go back and talk yeah. about the time frame it here. was huge this was probably a month three months so in country um about a month after that so mm-hmm. four months in total of being from country to walter reed yeah mm-hmm. And you got something the size of a watermelon. It was mm. huge, in your leg. huge, so big. I couldn't even put my jeans over it. Like it was so big. I can see why you might be a little alarmed. Yeah. And At, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. terrifying. Red flag going up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So after that happens, yeah, it was it was very terrifying. So it was about a, we'll say like three weeks to a month from initially getting the CT scan to going to Walter Reed and finding out that it's Ewing sarcoma and not a nerve sheet tumor. So, so explain that, <laughs> what that is for our listeners who may not be familiar with that okay. cancer. So uh, Ewing sarcoma is a, it's a soft tissue cancer. So it means that whatever area that it's affecting, it's all of that. So it could be in the bone, it could be the soft tissue, it could be um, the blood vessels, like all of that area, that whole circumference is, is affected. So usually they'll, they'll cut it off. Mm-hmm. They'll, you know, just take off whatever that area and usually affects like the limbs of the legs the arms like the hip area sometimes the ribs wait when you wait wait when you say take it off you mean like the leg amputation they'll just cut it off not like the muscle but we're talking the entire leg entire leg yes wow because it's um is a high rate of uh reoccurring so they want to make sure it's gone wow Mm-hmm. It affects because it affects everything. So it's just so not, whatever tissue it's in. Yeah, it will affect every everything. tissue of that type is. It will go to the bone, and it's called it's called a bone cancer. But if you catch it in a, you know, um, early enough stage, you can salvage your leg, which right. I did, thank goodness. So I caught mine in one B, okay. um, and then other individuals who may not be as lucky will have it, you know, in that bone. Will they have to get it amputated or it spreads to the lungs, the spinal cord, and the brainstem? Yeah. It was pretty, pretty intense, right? You go from like being healthy and being able to run and do all these amazing things to you now you might have to get your leg cut off and life is going to be different and you might die. And it's like, what is going on? How mm-hmm. did this happen? You know, like yeah. what? How did this happen? Did they have any answers? There's no answers. They couldn't tell me anything. Mm. Wow. Nothing. Which is worse. Because you almost want to know root cause analysis. What, what was it? What did I do something? Did I say, you know, yeah. was I in the wrong place? You know, did I drink something, eat something? Yeah. We all want answers as to how that happens, but. There was none, and there still aren't any answers. It's not a, something that's hereditary. Wow. 
Yeah. So like um, the luck of the draw, basically. From your research, how many people have you found, or does um, even Hunter Seven Foundation do they know the number of people who are served in the military that's had this type of sarcoma? Is it something? A lot of them that do, they've passed away. Okay. Okay. So when you get Ewing's, not everybody, because I haven't, I've been a survivor for about four. 10, 11 years, 11 years. Congratulations. Um, so thank awesome. you. I know I made it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, so mm. not everybody passes away, but there's a very high risk of it metastasizing somewhere else. So maybe it's oh. not going to be in the leg. It will be in the lung. It will be somewhere else, but because it, it spreads, it jumps around everywhere. And without pattern. It yeah, it just randomly spreads. It just, yes. Because it gets into your blood cells and transports to I'm a different. I'm not quite sure why it wow. happens, but it, so there's lots of people who have some sort of sarcoma cancer, right? And then, or a Ewing's or wherever it's at. And if they're able to, to cure it, you know, it's gone, it's in remission for a while, like it will reappear somewhere else. And it's now maybe in the breast or maybe it's something right. else, but it's, it came from the initial cancer. And do like people who've served overseas have a higher rate of this cancer than the I'm, general population? I'm not too sure, okay. but according to what I've been looking at, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's look. It looks that way. It looks but like all that. the numbers aren't necessarily in. I don't know about the numbers. I've just okay. you know I'm not a uh, scientist, a doctor, a researcher. You know, okay. put that out there. But what I've read, it just a lot of them are coming from deployment, and okay. yeah, it's pretty. So but there, there's not a lot of us. There's not a lot mm-hmm. of people that have it. You know, there's there's just not. There's not a lot it's, of people that have sarcoma cancer. It's okay. very rare. So, I mean, just to, to kind of, you went through all the treatment, had to have the chemo, lost your hair, went through. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, went through all of the what your greatest fears were at that time frame. Mm-hmm. Lost a big chunk out of your leg yes. um, as well. Yes, they removed my entire adductor muscle. And I was an athlete my entire life. So yeah. I played basketball, soccer, football. I did you know, everything, track, I ran, I, uh, you know, I did swimming, uh, ice skating, like you name it, I did it. And I was the best at it. Like I was playing on varsity's basketball teams when I was 13 years old. I was great. I was good. And so my whole life had been taken away because that's all I've known myself as being somebody very athletic. And that's why I joined the military, you know, to, to push myself to the brink, to do physical things. And now I can't even run anymore. You know, it's like, how and like what am I supposed to do now? You know, like how is this even fair? You know, wow. it's just it was it was really hard. It was really hard. How yeah. long uh, were you in Wall Three before they're like, all right, let's take this thing out? Uh, so I we did we had like a regiment. So I had to do six months of chemotherapy mm. or six rounds of chemotherapy, and then after the sixth treatment, I would do the do the surgery. That was to shrink the cancer down. But they weren't even sure that the cancer was going to respond. They kept telling me that they're going to have to cut my leg off. And uh, they weren't very sure, right? It was horrible. And uh, I had the doctors, and they all thought I was going to die. So I had this one chaplain um, who come in, and he'd lay this, like, huge crucifix on me. And he'd, like, pray over me. And he was so dramatic. He was Hispanic. (laughs) And he'd, you know, he'd ask me, like, which God do I believe in? And, like, who do I think I'm going to? And have I found a religion? 
and he was just so dramatic about stuff. And I was like, I, like, I don't want to die. Yeah. <laughs> It'd almost be <laughs> like when he enter, enters the door, be like, all right, not, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Just yeah. get yeah. out. Get out. You know, it was just. Mom, take that away. And that's what she did. And that's what she did. Good mom. That's right. She yeah. did that. She, at one point, because it was just such like pessimistic energy and like people were so negative about what was going on. They, my mom was like, you guys can't come in anymore. You know, unless you're giving her treatment or food, like you can't come in. And she put a sign up that said, do not enter. And so they stopped coming in and, you know, we kind of collected our thoughts Mm-mm-mm. back together and we were like, we have to, we have to fight and we have to make it. But it was, it was hard. So to go to the doctors is that's somewhere where you go to have answers and for them not to have answers and them not to believe that you're going to be living. Yeah. It's really hard. Well, and not to know the reason why it all began, you know, you, you learned it's not hereditary, which if you at least heard that, you would know, okay, well, I got it from, you know, some ancestor, but not knowing anything, it's makes it even much more difficult because you can't, you're sitting there beating yourself up probably for some period of time wondering, did I do this? Did I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure it was going through your head trying to figure out what you did wrong to cause where you are right now. Right. And I was trying to figure out, like, I kept thinking they had the wrong person because usually it happens to Caucasian mm-hmm. boys who are little. Really? I'm, that's that's really? the predominant? Yes. Wow. I like, am, young, like young? Yeah, like young six to 14. Caucasian. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> wow. But, so, you know, I play like little jokes with my mom because my mom's white. And I'm like, mom, you gave it to me. But <laughs> it's not the case. I so. she loved that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't wow. know what happened. Okay. Yeah. So since this has happened, though, you've linked up like we had talked about with Hunter Seven Foundation. And one of the things that since they've been on the podcast, they've put out so much tremendous information that, you know, Congress is changing things and helping, wow. you know, but 107, um, with the research that they're performing, they're pr- primarily a research-based uh, organization that, you know, we talked uh, offline to Jason about registering on the burn pit uh, registry. And it's so important because this is today's these types of topics like we're talking about your cancer all kinds of different things that are happening to individuals at a very early age Mm -hmm. that should not have uh, this type of stuff happen um it's it's the agent orange of today yes yes exactly and it's very scary because uh, like you i mean you happen to be deployed at this time frame and it came very rapidly but there are people who had multiple deployments and then they come home and they may even be separated and retired like you know Ron Schur, you know, who was a Medal of Honor recipient that we were talking about that passed away from cancer and, you know, go through all these experiences and don't die. And then they come home and then they find out they got this thing, yeah, you know, living inside of them that's taking over their body. And it's so profoundly sad. It's an important message to everybody who's listening who did deploy to pay attention, mm-hmm. well, you know, and these are generally, and this is just anecdotally from my experience, you know, and you, your experience kind of confirms that like these are fast acting illnesses. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, I think a lot of people have this perception you get a cancer diagnosis and it's maybe you end up with a year or two and yeah, it's a longer fight, but you know, my brother died of leukemia and I, I've talked about that and he was in the a Navy during Gulf War time frame and, Oh. Uh, he he got leukemia. You know, he was uh, working every day, and he just had a flu that he couldn't get rid of. And he went to the doctor, and they're like, "Hey, man, you got 
leukemia. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, he did through all the treatments and everything and, and went into remission for a few months, actually. And uh, he went back for a checkup, and it had came back tenfold. Yeah. And, he, and we lost him, like, 30 days maybe later. Wow. Well, we don't think about the, you know, when you think about the um, – like we were talking about last night, Levin Chuck, you know, and you being a 120 mortar, uh, 120 millimeter mortarman, yeah, <clears throat> and and the concussion aspects, you know, and traumatic brain injury and stuff from that, and and in the manual there is a, you know, you shouldn't do any more than, yeah, but, they've got a round count you're supposed to not exceed, but but nobody you know really pays attention to that kind well, of stuff. Well, the other thing or, that they don't they don't mention either is what's in that propellant. Right, that's what you I was know, getting so ready to go into. So you don't, it's the unknown now. Yeah, because you're breathing it. Yeah. There's heavy metals in there, and there's all kinds of crazy. I mean, it's these So the ammunition's on the ship. Repellents. Whatever radiation was around there on the ship, perhaps, whatever. You know what I mean? And you think, and, oh, he was in the Navy. He was out on a ship, you know. And, my, and I say this. My brother uh, never drank a beer, never smoked a cigarette, wow. never took a, a dip, like six, six. 230 pounds of like solid muscle man and you know to watch him go from you know uh, a, a walking thor to uh to about 100 pounds when he passed 190 pounds 180 pounds maybe when he passed away it was just a ridiculous to, to see it i'm sorry and to watch that you know and we we hear about the the orange stuff and then all the things that we, we don't put together. But like you said, like the stuff that comes off the rounds and then the, the nuclear, you know, reactor, you know, things that power stuff and Think all those things. Think about all the like, wars that were in, you know, over time and especially, yeah. you know, prior to us arriving on that soil, there was a lot of other stuff that went oh, yeah, down. True. And, you know, they talked about even the sandstorms, you know, something as simple as that, the particles within the sand you know, that rolls into sandstorms or the burn pits that nobody thought of. And they're the burning the, the guys who are in a, they're operating in a theater that has no conventional, I shouldn't say conventional, but they, they don't, they're not operating above board in any sense, you know, like Syria, the stuff those guys got exposed to. Oh, yeah. I mean, that you're completely off the map at that point, you know, and I've heard stories from them about some of the things they've been exposed to. And it's just, it's alarming. It's extremely extremely alarming yeah i don't think uh, i think the, the good thing is like you know with your case and then some coming on you know later on in the military i think that's just awareness is coming to that slowly and but surely and uh it's gone more from like a oh well you just you know draw the short stick and that's how cancer goes and that's that stuff and right. now now you know we're starting to tie it to things absolutely and that once we give it a thing then we can give it you know uh, an ability to work on how to fix it, said things. Yeah. So. Well, and the earlier you catch it, you know, the, and you start the scanning, better chance you scanning have. for it. And then we can come up with a scanning process and run the people that went through this can go get checked for these different types of antibodies and so on and so forth. Well, it starts giving people like you, I would think, Brandy, too, an opportunity to get clearer answers because now you start seeing, oh, you're not alone. It's just, yeah, you, you got this cancer, but there were a lot of other people that... So I was going to ask you from the same fob, from the same base, mm -hmm. what what else came out? There was a bunch of us that really? ended up getting sick. Um, there, so there's like twelve of us, not the exact same fob, but like the same vicinity, sure. the same, same yeah. area. Um, so there's about twelve of us that were on the the ward. It was the seventh ward in at Walter Reed, and they all died. 
So wait, this oh, is there in the same time frame that you're there. Yep, all of us. I remember seeing one, and I don't remember her name. It was my sister's NCO, so she came from uh, Balad, and she was there, and she ended up, you know, being sick, and she ended up passing away. But um, yeah, there was a bunch of us that were on there, and all of us came from deployment, and every single one of us, one of them passed away. So this is like, so they you, they had a room. It was like a smaller room, and it's kind of, I don't want to say it was based off seniority, but it kind of like was. So like the bigger rooms were the people who were there the longest, and it's kind of making them comfortable, and you know, but that person at that last room never made it out alive, right? So I would slowly be bumping up to room to room, and gradually getting bigger and bigger, and finally I'm at the biggest room, was room 7131, and I remember just looking at my mom like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. this is it, like, I'm bald, I'm like sick, I'm not not strong i'm so weak i can't even like sign myself out of paper uh out of anywhere my mom has to sign out for me because i my my um my signature and my writing is just not legible like you cannot read anything i'm so weak and i have to be pushed around in a wheelchair everywhere i'm just so sick but sitting like in the hospital bed and just knowing like and i don't know if i'm going to make it out alive like i don't know what's you know what's going to be happening this, oh, is, this has so got to be hard. mentally challenging. And at this it was point, so you, hard. You couldn't strike back with your physical side of it because you're no, too weak. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, when I tell people that, who have cancer that I always say that it's, it's the most challenging thing mentally for you because it's going to take all your strength away. Like the individual you think you are like strong strength wise is like that's not even the type of fight it is. It's all mental. Mm. All of it is mental. So wow. what would so somebody who survived such you know traumatic event and like being so weak and thinking that you're on, you know, death's bed. Um, and I'm sure people wonder like from who you were before, right? Obviously there's huge change. So what, what, what kind of appreciation have you gained for like life itself mm -hmm. from, from what you had then to like, I'm a survivor and, and I know what death pretty much feels like. Like, I feel like I definitely, I don't want to say like sweat the small stuff because that's different for everybody else. But it's like I am so less stressed about stuff because I know it's going to be OK. Like it's going to work out somehow, somehow, some way there, you know, the sun's going to come back out. So I'm really not like a lot of people feel like I don't care about stuff. And it's not that I don't care. It's just I just don't feel like it's worth stressing over and losing like lots of sleep over anything because yeah. I know it's going to be fine. Yeah, it's going to work out. I mean, I've heard people in your type of situation that said they felt like they won the lottery. They got a second shot. And yeah, you know what? Exactly. I'm going to enjoy it this time. Exactly. And do you know yeah. how motivated it made me? Oh, my God. I opened up a business. I wrote a book. I went and got my master's degree. I like I've done so much with this second part of my life that I probably would have waited because I'm like a perfectionist. Like I want to wait for the perfect time. Like, does this sound good? And, you know, should I do it right now? But now it's just like, just do it. I don't even have the answers. And I just I just do it. Awesome. Time is now. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you're never promised a second. Like, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, you really don't. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's it's cool that we have you on now, especially in light of the last two years and coronavirus, because so many people have experienced loss that they didn't expect, I think. And I think that's like, it's cool to hear you put words to that. I think a lot of people that they lost somebody they didn't expect to lose, and now they're like, okay, I'm going to, Stop wasting time. Mm -hmm. Seize the day. Appreciate the little things. Stop, not sweat sweat, stop sweating stuff. the small stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'll say it for you. I mean, that's yeah. exactly right. It's true. So it. I think it's. I don't think you have to have cancer to appreciate your message right now. I don't think you have to be a survivor because I think most of us can look around at 
friends or maybe we're the ones who survived or whatever. Agreed, right. everybody. Yeah, Agreed. So that's pretty, that's pretty Super cool. awesome story too, man. Like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we talk about like, you hear me say this and you guys, holistic, right? That's a, I keep using that word because holistic, like physically, mentally, it means everything. And mm-hmm. the fact that you, uh, you know, you're an athlete before and you're in really good shape and, you, you know, you're working out and then uh, basically, you know, you're stretching one day and you, you feel something different, right? And that's being aware of your body and understanding like, hey, that, that ain't right, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and that just tells people like, hey, I need to, you know, take care of my body holistically and, and do self checks and, and all those type of things to make sure that I'm catching those things like you did. And cause right. it's, it literally saved your life. Like stretching one day literally saved your right. life. Right. And I feel like if That's you're so true, in- I didn't think about that, but the fact that you were so in tune with your body because you were an athlete made you, made you realize it. Yeah. You weird, know? right. Yeah. Why, I'm like, I never do this stretch. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but my body, something's like, Hey, feel your leg. Like something's not right. A little tight in one area. Like, you know, I'm going to stretch out today and get this groin loosened up a little yeah. bit. And then you're yep. like, Oh, that's not right. That's not right. So. And I feel like our bodies communicate with us. What's wrong. If you just listen and you're yeah. in tune with it, you can heal, you can fix yeah. things, you can monitor it. You can give the nutrition or whatever it is like to that area that needs it. Had I not been stretching, not listened to myself, like you were saying, probably could have been a different story. Yeah. Or maybe you just give in to your fatigue and don't take the willpower to go to the gym, you know, and well, then you wouldn't have been yeah. stretching. Well, you I know? think I mean, it's like Never thought about any that. little thing, you know, like you're and you're doing it because you don't you need a couple of days off of work because right. you're, <laughs> so you're so tired and you're sick, of, you're sick of your leadership. So you're like, I need a break. Yeah. You know, so it all it's funny how. Where do you speak to guys so like, you know, in our, in our organization that is the opposite of like, I'm tired. It's like, oh, I'm going to, I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll be good. Yeah. And it's, they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing well, and, and pushing. Until and that's my fear, Jason. Like, that's what I think. That's like my deep, dark fear that kind of keeps me up at night. I'm like, how many of my buddies are out there sucking it up and they're exhausted yeah. and they're, and they're going to pay the price for it because they're not listening. Well, like yeah. you, even, I mean, you came. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Um, Yesterday you weren't I was feeling at, well. I was at the urgent care. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I have like a an asthma type thing I've developed, you know, from, I don't know, beating on my lungs and stuff like that. But because of 107 Foundation, you know, I'm like, all right, I know poor air quality days. I have chest pain and shortness of breath. So if it lasts more than an hour, I go in. And I go into urgent care and I'm like, do the scans, do the x-rays, do the blood work. Does everything look right? And Every it, time you're you're afraid that something's yeah, going to well, be there course, because it's real. It's terrifying, you know? man. Yes. You can't breathe and you can feel it. Yeah. And that's an unusual feeling. And I don't, you know, we still haven't quite figured out what it is. But, wow. you know, I'm going in. I'm getting checked and well, stuff like that. You have to take care of yourself. But I was at the urgent care yesterday. You know, I missed Ronnie Kubik's yeah. um, dedication. But... And partial to my fault, I didn't invite you early enough. I'm, I didn't want to point that yeah, out. <laughs> but, you know, a few, <laughs> but a few years ago, I would just be like, ah, you know, I, it's Well, I kind of felt like you were a little bit, but you, I could tell you were alarmed. And then, you know, when you said, yeah. where's the closest urgent care, you know, that's when I got a little concerned. And, yeah, and yeah I mean, especially because of what's going on in situations like you described, not only to, uh, about yourself, but about those that were in the same location People need to be paying attention. This is serious stuff. You know, it's listen to your body. If you don't feel well, yeah, it might be a cold. It could be something worse. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now in our organization, they, uh, we, and Paul, this would be a great, this is a great time to talk about like what we're doing and, 
and hopefully a senior leader in the in the general purpose force is that listening and and they take it to take it to heart and they try to implement it in their organization as well but um what we're doing inside our organization uh right now is is called the phalanx program and and it, it's the holistic view it, it goes from uh we from you know young soldiers to like education um uh career development and, and then uh holistic health assessment and and in that for the senior leaders in the in our organization um and working down to 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 the probably the staff sergeant level is um the spar program that that uh that i'm going to very fortunate uh, what does spar stand for uh yeah <laughs> the, uh, but i will tell you what it does what is it i mean i'm gonna add to like 900 acronyms the army has but um, <laughs> Soldier rating is something, but anyway, the uh, the the point of it is, is like it, it's a thirty, it's a, about a thirty day program, um, and and several of our guys are there right now. That does exactly what we don't do, and that's check us from head to toe, inside and out, uh, holistically, um, mentally, you know, blood work, diet. You know every single thing. If nothing that, else, know. just to get a baseline. It, That's it, good. Yeah, and it's like thirty days, and you go there, and then like you get if you're like this hurts, that hurts, this is bad. This so it's whatever. like a wellness program. Wellness, yeah, the whole nine yards. Okay, That's great. literally everything. That's good. And, uh, and and I know it's probably not uh, conducive for like every you know organization in, in the army, but but y'all are special. Well, I mean, we, <laughs> we, yes. we volunteered a few extra times, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how else to put that. Um, but um, at the same time, like, you know, they're, they're starting to recognize things that can come up, uh, you know, like with Paul and your breathing and other, others uh, that have just been rowing. And they're starting to, like, try to – the Army in general, because somebody's paying for it, right? The Army in general is seeing things that need to be fixed and changed, and, and we're slowly starting to put – ranger and soldier first to show like hey we're here to we want to take care of you because you're going to have to live when you get out of the army and right however we can get that to the best of its ability we'll try to do for you well we we should have seen this somewhat coming i mean i mean somewhat i mean because you had in vietnam you had agent orange in gulf war you had gulf war syndrome yeah, but look how long it took for them to even acknowledge. I know, it. but I mean, it's it was like, twenty years before they even acknowledged that that was a thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, because I remember early two thousands, the Gulf War syndrome came up, and it's like, okay, this is a thing that could be happening, and there was the denial from the VA and from DOD. And well, the because they know back. they're going to have to pay out. Anything they have to put a price. That's tag right. On. That's sure. and unfortunately, that's sure. what it is, and I'm sure it's the same right now. It is because I, yeah. we're going to start seeing more and more of them. We're going to have to start paying out for their care. Mm-hmm. I was part of a was it class action, class A, whatever. Class action. Yeah. Class action. Part of, it was back in like 2010. And it went on for years, like five years. And then they finally come back with a verdict that it's like, eh, they're dismissing it. I'm like, how? There's yeah. so many people that died yeah. during that time that are still not well. Like some of them are missing, you know, parts of their bodies. Like how is, how how are you guys not even like making the links here? And it's all about money, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, of course, money, it is. culpability. Nobody wants, Nobody wants to be culpable for, you know, killing service members. True. Well, I shouldn't say it that way, but they should, nobody wants to be culpable for <laughs> like, yeah, causing yeah. those kind of injuries. Collateral mm-hmm. damage. But again, like you got to think about it, especially when it comes to the burn pits. Like, yeah, yeah, if you throw a bunch of batteries in a fire, like 
if you just applied even the most loose OSHA guidelines to some of the stuff that we have, some of the tasks we have to do in the military, right. you would never, it would never fly. It would None. never pass muster. I and remember telling Chelsea, Chelsea, though, that just like when I was a kid, we had, I lived that rurally, so we had yeah. a pit that we actually burned our trash in. That's I took what, it out there That's the why you like army food. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a good one. It was yeah, the burn pit. you're a product of your but, environment. But, you know, but you're right. We didn't think anything of it. And when you're a soldier, you didn't think anything of burning your own poop and, you know, going out there and uh, although it was terrible to have to do or whatever. But you didn't, you didn't, somebody didn't go to you and tell you this could cause problems later on. I didn't think that at wow. all. Wow. Yeah. Not you're so young. It's like you said, yeah. you're a kid. Yeah. You I think the military is taking care of you and they're looking out for your best interest. Right. And they are largely. I'm not saying they're not, but it's. There are things that I think a lot of um, we're just not told about. And it doesn't matter what rank you are, what level you are. You're just not always told everything. And you don't really have the opportunity to sit down and think about, is there medical conditions here that we should be, you know, considering before we go and burn this? Or are there, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, you don't think about that kind of stuff. You right. Know? You it's, will. Aren't we taught to just execute? Yes. Not ask 100%. any questions. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of, that's what happens. And, <laughs> and to a large extent, you know, the damage is done. We did what we did. And, you know, we can ask ourselves going forward, well, how do we prevent stuff like burn pits from happening again? Certainly there's some ways to avoid this. What's more important now, I think, is how do we take care of the people that are affected by this? You know, how do we get, you know, we have a, a GWAT uh, liaison or case manager at every VA. You know, you go and you got to register with them when you get into the VA healthcare system. But you don't get screened for any of these things. Mm. You know, they ask you about PTSD, but they don't ask you about TBI, although they might be now. I haven't switched VAs in a while. And, you know, but they, it's just not on the radar yet. And why not? Yeah. You know, well, Chelsea's really, really pushing for that, not only in I the VA hospitals, wait. but really yeah. in regular hospitals. A nurse should say, sure. oh, you were in the military? You know, if, that com- if they can bring around that conversation, and they should automatically, uh, you know, I hate to say assume, but jump to... Let's make sure we're doing a full panel assessment. Let's make sure that we're looking and evaluating. I, I make sure the doctor is very much aware that there could be underlying things here. It may not be just a simple common cold or. Yeah. Yeah, well, sure. it, the problem is getting mm. it into the insurance. I was just going to say the that. medical billing, right? Yep. That's, like, that's the issue. Yeah. And I've, I had the same discussion. You know, you, you talk about operator syndrome and the myriad of symptoms you have from that, which is, I'm sure, on your radar. So I went to see a specialist, Kevin Lace, uh, Last Punisher author, phenomenal uh, endocrinology outfit down in uh, Florida. And, you know, we went through, we came up with a plan, and I think surely I'll go back to the VA in New York and go to Northport, and, you know, I've got his recommendations. It should be a simple matter of getting the prescriptions written, and, you know, I'll be on, you know, this treatment plan. There's no reason why we can't work this out. They, Their answer was, we're not going to prescribe you anything because it's off-label like the medicine you want is for breast cancer and these other things and you're you know breast cancer you're not a woman i'm like well they've been used for men nationwide for men for this specific purpose forever and i'm talking to a guy who's a navy veteran and he's like look yeah your testosterone is the one point above the bottom of the threshold like you really think i was an army ranger competing you know going you know belford was a fighter, you know, and we did PT together. I kept up, you know, and I had, we had D1, D2, D3 athletes. I kept up with them, even though I wasn't one. Like, I wasn't doing that with the minimum amount of male testosterone that you can have. So, clearly, there's some some. Well, it's a proven fact that, you know. Well, just you put, your age. Yeah, but, well, you know what his answer was? 
He's like, well, what am I supposed to put in for medical billing? What's the insurance code? I'm like, for one, you're being a fucking prick. Excuse <laughs> me. Because why would I know that as a layperson? Right. And for two, of course there's not a medical code for operator syndrome. Like, you know it exists. I know it exists. We can see there's a problem from the labs, but you're going to... You know, I'm beholden to some random insurance billing thing. So, yep, you know, that was their answer. Wow. And, and so insurance. here I am, uh, you know, still not treated. And my answer, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to a, a VA healthcare system that does. Is uh, wants to that. cater to you and help you, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like well, I mean, it's a proven fact that, you know, you put all, you know, the alpha males, if you will, in the room. Like uh-huh. it, it, it's, it's nature to, for your like testosterone levels to, to go up after being in that scenario over and over and that and any incronologist will tell you that you have to you know that that's a thing yeah uh and nobody can run at a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time yeah it's not gonna happen your body can't do it can't do it man well and you pay the price you know for the damage so you go around now though and try to share your story in a way in which you can help those cancer survivors or those people going through cancer and and that type of stuff so um, you know, you wrote a book and want to talk about that, The Enemy Inside Me, which is really um, a great book that talks about much of what we just shared here on the yes. podcast episode. But from your personal uh, perspective and stuff of outlining, I mean, you go into detail of, you know, 20, 30 hours, tw- you know, 2,200 hours. I mean, you're like getting serious into there's a lot more that went on that wasn't shared within this episode of how you're feeling, what, what's going on around you, how you were reacting to the situation. And um, so what made you decide to do this? What made you uh, decide to go ahead and write The Enemy Inside Me? All right, here we go. So I started this, originally it was a journal. And because everybody thought I was going to die, pass away, having, you know, making me update my will a thousand times a day, I decided that um, I needed to leave something for my nephew. Right. So I started like documenting things that were going on, what we were doing, how he was reacting. And I was so upset that I was going to be leaving, dying and not have a relationship with my nephew. I thought I was so unfair. It's like, God, that's terrible. Like I'm only 24. He's only two. He's not going to remember anything that's going on right now. Like I know for sure. So I was like, if I could just like write some stuff down and just like a little dedication to him and what was going on. So I just started journaling the entire time from I think it was like the end of February to the, I think it was uh, Veterans Day is when I finished. And it was just a journal, a huge journal. And then I made a promise to myself that day that my mom put the sign up and she's like, you know, gave me like a little pep talk. She's like, listen, you can either give up and die or you're going to have to push, you know, you you have strength, you know, you've, you can do it basically. And I was like, all right, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start this little project. And if I get to live, I'm going to make a book out of it somehow. I was like, I don't know how the hell I'm going to do that. I don't know how. I don't know even know anyone has written a book. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. But that was like a goal of mine. So when I joined the military or I went back in the military, because they gave me the option to either get out, you know, get medically retired at the time in 2010 or to stay in. So I was like, I'm going to try to stay in. I shouldn't have done that because, I, you know, it just it didn't work for me at all. We already <laughs> talked about that. Yeah. So I ended up getting medically retired in 2013. And I was like, OK, you know. Um, what am I going to do? You know, it's like, I've like, I really thought my whole life was a military. I like wanted to be, I wanted to be 20 years. I, that's like my life. That's what I wanted to do. And now I'm, you know, I'm kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. So I went back to school, got my master's and I went in for writing. So I got, I went to Savannah college of art and design. You might know. Okay. 
Yeah. yeah. So I went to went to SCAD, went to SCAD and got my master's in writing and I had to use something for my thesis. And I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I would really like to work on my journal and make it a book somehow. Like how can I do that? So I took my journal and I started using that for my thesis. So every time we had an assignment, like I took a chunk out of my my, uh, my journal and I made it like a, an, an essay. And at the end of it, I had like a really nice thesis. Mm -hmm. And they read it, they loved it, everybody was crying, they thought it was great. They, you know, they're like, but you have to finish it. But I'm like, I'm done, I don't wanna do this. I've been working on this for two years, like it's, it's finished. So I end up publishing it in 2018, but that's how it all started out. It was, it was a, like a journal dedicated to my nephew and I just created it and morphed it into a book. I want to read the last paragraph that's in here. It's a, being a cancer survivor is something that I'm proud of, but I do find myself still wondering why. Why, do I, why did I live? Why did my grandfather or the people I met at Walter Reed live? I'm sure one day I'll have the answers to these questions, but for now, I do not. All I know is that I have a second chance at life, and I'll make the best of it. And my mother was right. Everything would be okay. That's awesome. She did. Yeah. She would always tell me everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be all right. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what does she mean? It's going to be okay. Like, I just, you know, I, I couldn't see it, you know. And while you're, like, in the midst of everything, yeah, like, you can't see it. You don't know what's going to be happening. But if you have a good support system, I believe a good support system is so important. Like, yeah. I know for a fact if I didn't have my mom there, and it doesn't have to be your mom. It doesn't have to. It could be, sure. like, an ally. It could be anybody. But you need somebody there who's going to be, pouring into you, being your strength when you are depleted. Like, you need somebody there. And she was that. And she was right. She would always remind me everything's going to be okay. She'd be, like, rubbing on my bald head and, like, uh -huh. you know, just letting me know that everything's going to be fine. But I was jacked up, man. I yeah. was messed up. But her being there and, you know, just having her there, like, she, she, she brought me back to life. Wow. She did. She really did. Randy, I appreciate you coming on the show, coming all this way in order yeah. to tell your story. Like we mentioned, um, it's a powerful story, and I think it's one in which people who have deployed should continue to, uh, and I think you would agree, check themselves out, be, be very much aware of their what's going on with their body, and you know, uh, when a doctor says it's okay, you know, just uh, you're fine or something of that nature, keep pushing. If you don't feel right, go with your gut feelings. There may not be something right there. Right. Um, so it's a, it's an excellent message and I hope people reach out to you and give you an opportunity to come and, um, speak at other events and, yeah, and stuff like that. Um, I love it. so again, I appreciate you really, you know, taking the time out to come on the show. Thank you for having me. It was nice meeting all three of you gentlemen. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. It's Likewise. been great. Thank you.